0: Uh, so, if you're, if you're just joining us uh, this morning, we've been going through, uh, we're now a couple months into a series through 2 Corinthians, and, and we're really uh, trying to understand and, and seek uh, understanding as to what authentic Christianity really looks like. And um, so, I invite you today to, to join us in that series if, if you're brand new. Um, I'll, I'll try my best to help orient you to where we're at um, so you're not uh, lost or, or confused or dazed and confused. So, anyways, let's pray father we uh, we thank you uh, for your word this morning. We ask that you would open our ears uh, to hear uh, your voice uh, speaking through your scriptures. Uh, we pray that you would give us understanding pray that you would be with uh, your servant as he delivers your word. Um, please help us, Father, to have understanding through Christ our Lord. Amen so uh, in in one of the most comprehensive studies uh, of giving habits ever conducted in America in a book called The Paradox of Generosity, uh, authors, um, sociologists Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson. um, They discovered that Americans who describe themselves as very happy volunteer an average of 5.8 hours per month. Um, And can you guess how much time people who are described as very unhappy, (laughs) how much time they give? Uh, it's 0.6 hours a month, so significantly lower. Uh, they also interviewed, they, they, they interviewed and followed 40 families of different classes and races in America to find this out. They also discovered Americans who donated more than 10% of their incomes experience lower depression rates, and Americans who are emotionally available and show hospitality to others are more likely to be in excellent health as opposed to those who, who don't. Interesting. Um, and, and one of the most surprising things in this study, though, is, I think, how ungenerous Americans are. It's pretty telling and embarrassing. Um, compared to other countries, right, Americans are very wealthy. And what they found out is that tons of people uh, don't even give a dollar in an entire year to a fund or a charity or anything like that. So, I mean, that's pretty, pretty uh, surprising. Uh, people admit that in surveys. Maybe they won't admit that to you in person. Um, but in surveys, that's what the data is showing. So not a dollar. And, and they, they also found that the percentage of people's salaries uh, that people give is unrelated to how much um, was earned. So the money that Americans make um, doesn't translate to higher proportional giving. And so those who can't afford it just don't give for whatever reason. And I bring this research up this morning um, to, to really expose where our hearts are, first of all, as a country, and also really to highlight an area where, you know, that, that really shines, that, that, that we, can, we can hone in on in our own hearts. That it tells us something about ourselves. Um, you know, we live in San Diego. So we're immensely blessed in so many ways. Usually great weather, right? And it's been hot lately. So, you know, not 75 degrees. Not as cool as I like it, right? But, um, but San Diego in all places. And so so much to do. Uh, so much relative wealth uh, surrounds us. And, and there's a lot of good that can be done with, with that there. Um, but there's also a ton of missed opportunity. And, and, and more important than, than just feeling happier or having better health uh, is pleasing the God who made us and who also made our neighbors. And so what we want to look at today is, is what God is inviting us into. And I think from our passage this morning that God is inviting us into... Um, a, a, a deeper, a true, authentic appreciation of, of who he is and what he's done, and that that in turn will, will create in us a more generous spirit towards others. Um, he wants our, our gratitude for what he's done, and he wants that to spill on over to help others in need. And so that, that, that what Christ has done for you is reflected in how we treat our neighbors, what we do for others. And so to move us away from our stinginess uh, to uh, greater gratitude, greater generosity towards others, um, we're going to look at two things this morning. So we're going to look at one example in uh, in generosity, and then we're going to look at the second thing is uh, our motivation for generosity. So just two points this morning. First, let's look at this example in generosity. Example. I'll read at verse 1. If you're following along in your Bibles, uh, you can open them, or it'll be behind me as well. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. And as you excel in everything in faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and in our love for you, see you excel in this act of grace also. Uh, if you were with us last week and you heard Adam's sermon, or you just happened to read chapter 7 uh, before reading chapter 8, hearing it this morning, uh, you might be a bit surprised at this challenge uh, aimed at the Corinthians. Because if you remember from last week, um, he was just talking about repentance, and then now all of a sudden he's asking for them to give money. So it seems kind of abrupt and, and random, misplaced even. Why would he bring this up all of a sudden? Um, but, but this challenge is part of their growing, and their, um, growing in their repentance and, and furthering their restoration with one another. And so that's important. So if we go back to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we remember that um, Paul encourages them uh, to, to start this collection uh, for poorer Christians in Jerusalem. And that plan, of course, was ruined because of the, the super apostles uh, disrupting their relationship with Paul and this whole mess happened. And then later Titus, um, uh, Titus actually reports to Paul that, um, you know, that the, the Corinthians are actually pursuing reconciliation and, and here we are. And so, so it's, it's, it's completing. Um, it's a reminder to reaffirm their call to give generously to the church in Corinth. I mean, the church in Jerusalem. And so what we have here before us is an example in generosity. Um, and it was not from the church in Corinth, but as we see, it's, it's from the churches in Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is a region um, that included, it would have included the churches of Philippi. So maybe you remember uh, Philippians, reading, seeing that book in the Bible in the New Testament. Um, Thessalonica, and also Berea. So those are the two, um, uh, the, the, the three uh, churches included in that area, and and the churches in this area were significantly poorer than, uh, say, an area like Corinth. So in comparison, and so but even though they had little money, they still gave generously to help others in need. And so even though they had little, they they gave much. And he says in verse 4, for example, that they they begged Paul earnestly to bring relief money to them. Um, How many people do you know who begged to give money to others in need? Who are like just itching, like, I can't wait to give my money away. (laughs) I don't know very many people. How many poor people do you know who are itching to like give money away, right? Not very many. Um, And yet these people uh, were doing just that. in their extreme poverty, he says, they gave abundantly, even out of their own affliction. I mean, they were, they, were, they were going through some hard times, and that didn't stop them from willingly and joyfully giving. And that's the thing about giving. It's not dictated by ability, uh, but by desire. And so, so what are some of the implications, uh, first for the Corinthians and then also for us, from this example in generosity from the Macedonians? Let's look at verse 7. It says, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, earnestness, and love. Um, first of all, that's, that's commending the, the gifts that this church in Corinth had. I mean, they were earnest. They excelled in so many areas. And yet, they didn't quite excel in every area, right? They still lacked in something. They needed to be complete. They needed to have something else. And what that exposes about every church, so including Redemption Church, is that there are always areas that we have to be watchful for, that we can always improve on in different areas. And each church is going to have something to work on. But as Americans, I think that we're we're tempted to find our identity in our success, in our jobs, in our careers, in our parenting, um, more than in God. Go Banking Rates did a study and found that, that one in four Americans said that money is the one thing they think about most every day. One out of four. They also found uh, another one in four Americans spend most of their time each day thinking about work. That's an awful way to live, man. When you think about work so much, you're already at work so much. But we spend more time thinking about getting than we do about giving. And so God's word today is, I think, really challenging to us, um, given the circumstances. I mean, give, why would I want to give? What do I get out of it? It's often how we think. But the Bible's calling us to seriously question what we truly value and and is revealing to us that how we handle money, for example, or a time, defines what we really care about and what we truly believe. And so uh, one commentator put it like this. He said, Jesus can have our money and not have our hearts, but he cannot have our hearts without our money. And so will you be like the Macedonians one of these you know, these churches who, who, who will give willfully, joyfully, even in poverty? Or will you be like Paul's asking the Corinthians now to be, that even in their prosperity, to be giving generously? So whether in, in poverty or prosperity, God is always calling us to generosity. And, and, and the reason for that is, is grace is so tied to generosity. Um, I want you to notice in verse 1, Notice that the grace of God, he says, the grace of God is, is actually tied to this wealth of generosity in spite of their poverty, uh, verse 2. And so the act of, of grace, God's grace in their lives, is so tied to their material and financial and tangible, real uh, giving uh, to bring relief to these poor Christians. And, and, and this brings us to our second point, that... that this example and generosity is the first thing we thought about. The second thing I want us to think about is this motivation. What's the underlining? What's the reason for such generosity? Where do you, where do you really get that from? How, 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 does, how does God change your heart to be so generous? Um, because when we I think about this, a good example of generosity like the Macedonians, that is not going to be enough to really make me a generous person. It's cool to hear about. I'm like, that's awesome. That's so awe-inspiring that I hear about their generous giving. Um, and sometimes, you know, even, even I can possibly be guilt-tripped, you know, for a one-time deal. If I see someone who's hungry in a picture, I'm probably going to give out of guilt. So, you know, whether it's from inspiration or, or from guilt, I might be giving, but that can't actually sustain my giving, my generosity for an entire lifetime, can it? Um, and so Paul seeks greater generosity from people, not by inspiration or by guilt-tripping. He seeks it by going to the grace and the generosity of God in Jesus Christ. That's the fountain, the wellspring of generosity. And he wants them to know the gospel and really believe the gospel because only by believing the gospel can we actually become generous people. So look with me at verse 8. It says, I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine verse 9 for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich you see that i mean these people in corinth like all of us americans are very materialistic in america the studies show that people who can give the most are the ones who give the least. Paul just highlighted for us an example of people who could afford the least, and yet they're the ones giving the most, being the most generous. This poor Macedonian uh, group of churches, richly providing because they believe the gospel. And so here, Paul is saying that if we lack generosity... If we find ourselves as someone who's not a generous person, we can honestly admit that. We can say, man, I look at my life, how I give, how I don't give. I'm ungenerous. Uh, Paul knits that together with not, our not understanding uh, who Jesus was and what he's done for us and how Jesus became poor for us. And so we don't really get that in Christ, we already have the greatest treasure, the most wealth, the best riches imaginable. And so here, Jesus is the greater example, and he is the greatest motivation for generosity. He is the motivation. The gospel says Jesus paid the ransom price for me, so he bought me, purchased me with his blood, buying me out of the debt that I owed to God. That message is what fuels motivation. And what he's done has has freed me from enslavement, that, that I used to be a slave to my job, or my career, or parenting, or success. I used to be a slave to money, uh, but now because Jesus has bought me, I'm not my own, and everything I have isn't mine anyways. And so it's easy to give stuff up to others because God has given me everything. And that, that, that's the, the, the gospel message, that Jesus left his riches to become a poor carpenter boy to live the life that you should have lived, to die the death that you should have died. Through faith in him, he gives me God's favor, so now I'm a child of God, and I'm entitled to all the privileges and the rights that he has earned for me as a son. And so the question I want to ask right now is, is, does that message of God's grace, does that grip you? And does it so grip you that it actually changes the way that you relate to your time, your talents, your treasures, your own resources, your provisions for others? Does it change anything? The gospel is so central to Paul's appeal here for giving uh, that that it's just chapters 8 and 9 are just lathered with with an emphasis on grace. Um, The Greek word for grace is charis, and that, 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 that word just pops up over and over and over again. And we don't really see it in our English translation so much, um, but, it, but it's right there. It's, it's that the gospel is so central. The gospel is the motivation here. And now just about every uh, culture celebrates charity and generosity. Uh, if we go back to when the Bible, uh, when the New Testament was written in the first century, in the Greco-Roman world, Generosity was actually a civic virtue, so a lot of people celebrated generosity. Um, a, benef- a benefactor who gave goods or, or services to others was perceived as deserving very high praise, and that's because it was a society where, where banks didn't loan money, and there was no social safety net, so you, you didn't have the government, you didn't have anything else to fall back on, so you needed a benefactor to survive. And benefactors, patrons, they, they kind of... They, um, they kind of ran cities, like a city like Corinth. Um, has anybody seen The Godfather? A couple people. Oh man. All right, so um, it's like a rite of passage in our Italian family. So like, um, like I married Gina, but I wasn't really in the family until I watched The Godfather and A Bronx Tale. Am I right, Phyllis? <laughs> um, like I was tolerated, maybe. <laughs> But I wasn't loved until that point. So, but the, uh, the Godfather, it, it captures something. Uh, it captures this idea of a benefactor, of what life was like. That uh, Right, so this Godfather figure, uh, he'll give you money, he'll, you know, do whatever job you need done for you. Uh, he just wants your loyalty, right? Um, and he'll give you protection in exchange. He might ask you for a favor at some point, too, but he'll give you protection. <laughs> you know, he's... he's He'll make sure you're safe and you're taken care of. Uh, in Paul's view, though, God is, is not like that specifically, but there's this general thing of, of God being this great benefactor who richly provides for all our needs and takes care of us, protects us. Right? Psalm 23, provider, protector, our portion. And, 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 and Jesus is the one who bought us out of the greatest debt that we owed, and, and, and this new relationship with God is the basis for that generosity that we have from this great benefactor, that now we're, like him, we're gift givers rather than takers in this world. And so when have you, maybe as a question, uh, if you want to write this down, you can if you're taking notes, um, but when have you been most encouraged or most motivated uh, to give beyond what's expected of you? You remember a time when you you really wanted to give generously. What was it that motivated you? Uh, For me, fear doesn't motivate me. Like, fear just makes me want to hit you. Like, don't don't try to, like, and don't guilt trip me either, right? Um, But grace, man, grace is a great motivator. Um, How can I withhold love for my neighbor when God has withheld nothing back from me? So, one thing becomes clear from this passage. Um, And it's this, it's not possible, it's not possible to be somebody who knows Jesus and isn't more generous because of it, because of knowing him. Um, Why is it impossible? I think there's at least three reasons uh, that Jesus makes us a more generous person. First, when we believe in Jesus, uh, you start to see that he and not money is your security. He's your safety net. He's your security blanket. He's your godfather. Uh, so, so you don't need to make uh, six figures or, or have whatever number in your bank account to be secure because God is your security. Uh, second, when you no longer belong to yourself or this world but have been bought and you belong to God, your priorities begin to change. And so you used to be enslaved by the power of money. You used to live for the prestige of influence or uh, the priority of, of success governed your life. But now you see the vanity in those things. You see how unsatisfying those things are, how incomplete they actually make you feel. And so what's more beautiful and lasting is to be one of God's people, one of his children. Uh, third, a, a person who has an understanding of his or her own, her own poverty. And I think when we understand our own spiritual poverty, we can't help but provide for others in need materially. Um, Tim Keller, in his, his um book, Ministries of Mercy, which we went through uh, a couple months ago. Uh, uh, some people in our church went through. Um, he highlights that, you know, a poor person functions as a sort of mirror in our lives, a mirror into our own soul, as to our spiritual state before God, that as they're material poor, that's our state before God, that we are in need of his grace, and, and, and God is a giver of grace, who richly provides us Jesus in our poverty. Um, in a sermon a, a very long time ago, um, a man named Robert Murray uh, Macheney, uh, he said this, he said, and I quote, The more you understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, the more generous you become. I fear there are many hearing me now who know they're not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Okay, he said these words, not me. But he's getting at something here. He's striking at the vitals of something. That the gospel does change us from the inside out. Changes how we relate to money. Makes us givers rather than uh, mere receivers of, of so much wealth. Uh, but there's a second motivation for generosity. It's another benefit that Paul talks about. So look, uh, look at verse uh, 10 with me. He says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. This benefits you. Who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Verse 11, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For, in the readiness, er, for the, if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it's written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And so here at the the end of that, Paul cites this Old Testament scripture to reinforce uh, this principle of equality that we give to other churches in need um, and really beneficially so that, you know, when we're a church who's in need, there are other churches who are going to also provide generously and and give to us as well. And um, Paul's not teaching the prosperity gospel here, um, and I'm not going to give you the false promise that whatever you tithe, um, you know, uh, God's going to multiply 50-fold or 100-fold or, or whatever. Um, Paul focuses not on the amount in this passage, but on the act of giving itself, that, that the Corinthians, by giving, which they were a wealthy church, by giving, it wouldn't have cost them that much, but they would, they would, be, they would benefit by giving, by just the act of doing it, um, that they'd, they'd benefit in response to what God and Christ has done. And in this case, um, at this time in history, Paul is spreading the gospel. He's preaching the gospel to non-Jews, uh, to what we, we call Gentiles. And he's giving the gospel to these people. And, and, so, and, and, he, and he was charged, he's commissioned by um, uh, Christians in Jerusalem to be preaching this gospel, right? And, and, and it's, it's these poorer Christians in Jerusalem who are struggling financially. And so what we see is this beautiful picture of the, the whole church coming together, Jews and Gentiles, the, 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 the Jews who spiritually are giving the gift of the preaching of the gospel, and these Gentiles coming around and giving back in response to hearing that that message of grace in their lives, giving financially to um, the church in need. And so we see hope and healing and resources shared in an abundance for rich and poor, old and young, all ethnicities coming together, showing forth that they're one church. And so in conclusion, we saw an example in generosity. We looked at what the motivation was for such generous generosity, giving so much, that only the gospel has the power to loosen our tight grip on our finances to give rather than keep and to bless others rather than hoard for ourselves. So it's because these Christians really believed the gospel that they were moved and motivated to give so much. So the question this morning for all of us is, do we really believe the gospel? Do we believe it? And a way to test that for us, whether we do or we don't, is is by looking at our own patterns of giving, our own patterns of sacrificing for the sake of others. But don't miss this. Only the gospel can create in us love where there's animosity or indifference or fear or guilt. The gospel changed a people like the Macedonians who were poor, to give generously. And the gospel is what Paul believed could change these Corinthian Christians to give in their prosperity. And it's the gospel itself that is the basis that can change any of us as a church in San Diego to richly benefit others around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being the great benefactor. We thank you that you gave an abundance to us by sending your son, Jesus, to live and die for us, and that he rose for us and gives us that great gift of a full and complete redemption in and through him. We thank you that you give us life where we find death, where we're poor, you make us rich. We thank you for uh, your gospel this morning. We ask that you would renew our hearts, uh, that you would help us, Father, to be a more generous people because of this great news, this great gift that you've given us in Jesus. Amen. Amen.